This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Jesus Christ is our salvation. God doesn't um, reach into some heavenly treasury and dispense salvation. He gives us himself in his Son. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. Normally I am joined by a co-host, but today I'm flying solo. James is with his family at an indoor water park in the Poconos, believe it or not. But I'm joined on the phone by someone who's had a considerable influence on my life through his preaching and writing and counsel, Reverend Ian Hamilton. Ian is Associate Minister at Smithton Free Church in Inverness, Scotland. He's a lecturer in church history at Edinburgh Theological Seminary. He also serves in a number of other capacities. He's a trustee for the Banner of Truth, board member at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And he's also one of the speakers at the upcoming Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology, which is held in Grand Rapids uh, this year uh, from March 15th through, 6th, through 17th, and in Bryn Mawr, just outside Philadelphia, on April 26th through the 28th. If you stay tuned at the end of the interview, you can enter for a chance to win a registration to one of these two venues. Ian will be speaking twice at PCRT, and in one of these addresses, he'll be speaking on the doctrine of union with Christ. And so he's been kind enough to join me today to talk a little more about this. Ian, thanks uh, for joining me. It's good to speak with you. That's my pleasure, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Ian, I wanted to start with a quote that I, I always found very arresting and, and uh, helpful, and I wanted to see whether this resonates with your own reading of the scriptures. In, in Redemption Accomplished and Applied, John Murray writes, union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. Is this an exaggeration or is, in fact, union with Christ the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation? I remember the first time I read Redemption Accomplished and Applied. I was still a very young Christian. I had no Christian background whatsoever. And when I read Murray's little paperback, um, it became my vade mecum, my go with me. I didn't realize the gospel was so profound, so rich, so wide, so high, so deep. And that statement by Murray's, probably more than anything else, uh, arrested me and made me realize that the salvation of God was actually all about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the salvation of God. And so when Paul uses again and again and again the phrase in Christ, he is highlighting the absolute centrality of the Lord Jesus himself to the saving work and the saving purposes of God. And I don't think Murray is, is overstating the case. I think he's simply reflecting clearly what the pages of the New Testament, especially Paul's letters, but not only Paul's letters, uh, make plain and clear to us that union with Christ, the spiritual union of the believer with the Savior, is the very fountainhead, uh, heart and core of what the Christian salvation is all about. Sometimes in the New Testament, it talks about us being in Christ as believers. And then sometimes, of course, it talks about Christ being in us. Is there a distinction there? Or would you put both of those kinds of passages in the same categories, passages that are just highlighting the centrality of Jesus Christ in our salvation? 
Well, I think I would want to do both. They, they highlight the centrality of Christ um, regarding the salvation of God. But those passages that speak of Christ in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory, for example, is reminding us that our being in Christ, there is a mutuality of communion. Um, it's not simply that we are located spiritually, um, personally, vitally in Jesus Christ, but that his relationship is so unspeakably profound and glorious that at the same time, by his spirit, he indwells us. There is something analogous to the Holy Trinity, I think, where the Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father. There's not a merging of persons, but there is a mutuality, an incomprehensible mutuality of communion. And I think that's what in Christ and Christ in us is highlighting this incomprehensible yet glorious reality that we are united in ways that are <laughs> beyond our fathoming. I remember, if I'm not going on too long, uh, reading in Her Herman Bavinck in volume two of his Reformed Dogmatics, where he says the fundamental truth of the Christian religion is the incomprehensibility of God. And I think that incomprehensibility um, shadows into union with Christ. Uh, there's much we can say about it, but I think at the end of the day, and I think John Murray makes this point in his chapter on union with Christ and redemption accomplished and applied, there is an inevitable incomprehensibility about it. And I think those two realities um, highlight that incomprehensibility. Some of the things that Murray talks about, and I think you used the word fountainhead earlier. I, I, if, as I recall, perhaps Murray uses that as well, uh, that all these benefits uh, of our salvation flow out from our union with Christ. And, and some of those, I, it strikes me, are a little easier for us to uh, get our arms around in terms of the, the meaning of them, the significance of them. Uh, could, you, could you outline in a, in a sort of thumbnail sketch what the benefits are of our union with Christ? In other words, what are, the, uh, what are the benefits of salvation, the blessings of salvation that, as it were, flow out from this truth? Well, in doing so, I'm simply paraphrasing first Philip Melanchthon and then John Calvin. You, you cannot separate the benefits of Christ from Christ himself. Christ is himself the benefits of the gospel. He is our Redeemer and our redemption. Um, he is the Lord, our righteousness. He himself is our sanctification. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 30. Uh, Christ is the wisdom of God, even our righteousness, sanctification and redemption. And it's absolutely imperative. And this is what John Calvin so wonderfully explicates in, in Book 3 of the Institutes, that we do not... Uh, come to imagine that there are blessings bestowed upon us that somehow um, are not found in Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus Christ is our salvation. God doesn't um, reach into some heavenly treasury and dispense salvation. He gives us himself in his son. And Jesus Christ is the redemption 
our redemption is in Christ, um, Ephesians 1, 7, I think. And so the person of Christ uh, and the work of Christ are, in a sense, one in the work of salvation. We receive Jesus Christ, and in receiving him, as Ephesians 1, 3, 4 puts it, we receive all the blessings of God. In a sense, there's no such thing as justification or sanctification. If we think of those terms abstractly and atomistically, Jesus Christ is our justification. He is our righteousness. In him we are sanctified. That doesn't mean we don't grow and progress in likeness to Jesus Christ. But what we desperately need to keep before um, the Church of Jesus Christ is that um, salvation in all its facets is found in Jesus Christ and not apart from him. How does meditating on that reality, that this is all centered on the Lord Jesus Christ, how does that in turn cause us to grow in holiness, to grow in our sanctification? What's, how do those two things relate in your thinking? Well, I think they relate absolutely uh, vitally. When you look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians and look at it grammatically, something very remarkable strikes you. In the first three chapters, there is one imperative verb, chapter 2, verse 11. In the second three chapters, there are 50 imperative verbs. And clearly what Paul wants these Ephesians to understand before he goes on to issue uh, commands and injunctions and whatever, he wants them to see that the fountainhead of the gospel, the glory of the gospel, is found in what God has done in Jesus Christ for us, not what we are to do for him. And the whole New Testament is, is structured around that, that all of the imperatives to holiness and godliness and faithfulness and obedience are rooted and grounded and flow out of grasping the wonder of what God has done in his son, Jesus Christ. John Owen has an absolutely fabulous passage. I think I actually remember where it's volume one in the glory of Christ, page 460 into 461. When I first read it, I was absolutely overwhelmed by it. And I hope that's not exaggerating the case. Owen is saying, if, if Christians are struggling with obedience, with um, the high calling that we have in Jesus Christ to be, to be holy and godly. And when you think of the world in which we live, our sex-saturated world where we're told that many evangelicals are drawn into this culture of internet pornography, Owen is saying the antidote is not to talk to them first about their disobedience, although you need to speak about that at some point, you need to go to the heart of the matter. You need to set before them the glory of Jesus Christ. And that, more than anything, will be used of God to help his people uh, recommit themselves to a life of obedience. It's, it's, it's when we 
with the help of the Holy Spirit, see how greatly God has loved us, what depths he has gone to redeem and rescue us, what sufferings the Saviour has endured to save us, what awful pain and punishment he underwent in our place to deliver us from a lost eternity. That becomes the fulcrum. Uh, John Owen puts it well. He, he says, um, the love of God is the fountainhead of the gospel. And so when Paul, for example, in Ephesians 3 uh, says, to me who am less than the least of all the saints was this grace given to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Uh, he actually speaks a little grammatical nonsense. He, he says, unto me who am the leaster. He uses the comparative elechistoteros and not the superlative elechistos because he's so overwhelmed by the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. That that's what we set before people. And on that basis, we say with Romans 12, therefore, because of the mercies of God, devote your bodies, commit your bodies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So whether you are guiding someone uh, who's struggling with sin or whether you're preaching justification by faith alone, essentially at, at, at the root, it sounds like what you're, what you're saying is we must be presenting Christ to them. We must be putting before them who the Lord Jesus Christ is in his glory. Yeah, I, you know, there's a great cry from congregations, and rightly so, for application. But I think there is a danger that we forget that Jesus Christ himself is the great application of the gospel. Um, you know, think of Joseph in Genesis 39. Uh, life, life has been just a catastrophe from one perspective. Uh, and now life's beginning to look up, and then Potiphar's wife seeks to seduce him. He's far from home, he's, he's abandoned. But what is it he says? How could I do such a thing and sin against God, the covenant God who has promised himself to me, committed himself to me, preserved and kept me? Um, we need to help our congregations understand that the Lord Jesus is himself the great application of the gospel, rightly, rightly preached. Um, and that's why I think John Owen, um, who, is, who is read, I think, in, in, in part by many, um, would say that the three great volumes that he wrote we're not mortification, although that's a wonderful volume, spiritual mindedness. The three great volumes that he wrote were the glory of Christ, communion with God, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe I'm reading into Owen's mind and I'll be corrected someday, but I have little doubt, certainly when you look at Owen's almost deathbed um, words, that he wants people to to know that this is his great legacy to the church. Um, behold your God. And we need to give people elevated views of God. I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones who said, 
I can forgive a preacher anything if he'll give me big views of God. And that's more and more of what churches need to be confronted with. Ian, I wanted to ask one last question, which it really dovetails perfectly with what you just talked about with Owen's works. What books would you recommend for someone who understands or is beginning to understand the significance of presenting Christ perhaps to their congregations in this way, or even just, you know, to themselves uh, as they grow in their Christian life. What, what books would you recommend? You, you mentioned the, the glory, the glories of Christ by Owen, which is available of course in the set, but also in a, in its own standalone paperback. But are there other books that have particularly helped you or that you have given to others that, they've found useful in this way? I think it was Sinclair Ferguson who said, uh, once you've read John Owen, you wonder why you read anyone else. <laughs> we can leave it at that. Um, <laughs> well, if I, the book that I have most commended to Christians and to pastors throughout the 40 or so years I've been a Christian has been John Murray's Redemption Accomplished mm-hmm. and Applied. I have a copy that is um, held together by tape. I have another copy that I use. Um, I think for me, it was seminal in not just helping me to see how rich the salvation of God is that in his mercy I entered into, but how absolutely central the Lord Jesus Christ was. To that. Um, that as, as I said earlier, salvation wasn't simply a, a blessing dispensed from a heavenly treasury. I think that's more Romanism. Salvation is God giving us himself in Jesus Christ. I, I encourage people to, to read Murray. Um, Calvin has been absolutely formative. These are, these are older books. Uh, Calvin has been formative for me. My wife would say, Ian, please add uh, James Packer's uh, Knowing God. Um, It's now 40, perhaps, years um, ago it was first published. That is a remarkable little book for helping people uh, grasp something of the panorama of the Christian faith and of the Christian life. And, And Packer writes so simply, so succinctly, so engagingly. Um, those are the books that immediately come to mind. Uh, that there, are, there are many others. Um, reading Jonathan Edwards again recently, his religious affections, is a reminder to me again that um, true religion in, in great part consists in holy affections. And how are those holy affections to God cultivated? They're cultivated in the rich soil of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, but there, there are multitudes of others. I'm constantly, not constantly, but um, more than occasionally rebuked by close friends for uh, not reading more modern things. I, I do dip into modern literature, but Owen and Calvin have been so seminal for me that 
that's where my landing grounds usually are. Well, I will not rebuke you on that score. In fact, if I see you going too far into modern writers, I'll I'll uh, I'll push you back to Calvin and Owen. That would be kind. That would be kind. Ian, thanks so much for your time today. Always a pleasure to speak with you, and uh, really appreciate your your time on this specific issue. Well, it's been a pleasure to be here and not least to see yourself again, Jonathan. The Lord prosper you and all that you do. As always, we thank you for listening to Theology on the Go. I wanted to tell you how to enter to win a free registration to one of the upcoming PCRT conferences, either the one March 15th through 17th in Grand Rapids or the one just outside of Philadelphia in Bryn Mawr on April 26th to 28th. If you go to the uh, placefortruth.org, go to the Theology on the Go link there. There will be a place for you to enter, and there'll also be a link for you to register, even if you don't win a free registration uh, from us. We'd love to see you at PCRT. Those are always very full events, so I'd recommend registering soon, but they're always extremely worthwhile. As always, I'd also like to remind you that we could not do what we do here at Theology on the Go or really with any of the other uh, outlets that the Alliance has without the support of listeners like you. If you're able to donate, you can do that on placefortruth.org. There's a donate button or also on alliancenet.org. Also, if you have any feedback, any questions, topics you'd like us to address, please let us know and pass the word along to your friends who might be helped by this podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.